0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Well, Judas' betrayal is uh, certainly the most famous in all of history. Uh, But it is not so just because of who was betrayed. It's also because of who Judas was. Notice, he is not an enemy outsider. No, he is one of the inner circle. He has been with Jesus from the very beginning. And really, what could be more treacherous than that? Because we know how the story ends, we have a tendency to imagine him as sort of a fringe member of the group. He's the suspicious-looking redhead who is always standing off to one side all by himself. But that is not true. In fact, if you think about it, he is likely the most trusted of all of the 12 friends. He is to oversee the money box. He is the church treasurer. He is to make sure that there is food on the table, not only for the disciples, but also for the poor. He's the stewardship chairperson. They trust him to manage the resources wisely because Judas is one of them. He is Jesus' friend. He has walked hundreds of miles alongside of them. He has sat around the campfire at night talking about things that really matter. Judas was there at the wedding at Cana when you remember Jesus turned water into wine. He was there when 5,000 people stuffed their faces on nothing more than five loaves and two fish. He saw the lame man pick up his pallet and walk He watched the blind man focus his eyes for the first time. He was there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. And as Stacy said, he has just had his feet washed by the one who did all of those things. If Judas had really been the odd one out, Don't you think that all of the disciples would have known that very night who he was talking about? But he didn't. Very truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, he said. And they all stopped chewing, looked around the room, because none of them could imagine who it might be this betrayal by an infinite. It's the stuff that nightmares are made of. Witness the frightening appeal of movies like Deceived or think of The Hand That Rocks the Cradle or bestsellers like The Firm. You think you know somebody so well and then it turns out you don't. Your very successful business is losing money. And when you run the audit, you discover that your trusted partner has been siphoning money out the side door. You come home at night and you discover your daughter crying. And when you finally can get her to speak, she tells you that her uncle has been sneaking into her bedroom at night. Or you're opening the mail one afternoon, and you discover that your spouse, who has been acting a little weird lately, has taken out a really big life insurance policy on you. (laughs) Elbow to the left, elbow to the right. (laughs) Betrayal may be as dramatic as that, or it may be even simpler. A good friend gossips behind your back. A coworker uses privileged information to steal one of your best accounts. Betrayal by strangers is hard enough, but betrayal by those closest to us, that is a killer. It destroys trust, and it can deaden a heart. In Dante's Inferno, the lowest circle of hell is reserved. For such strangers. There, Judas, accompanied by Brutus and Cassius, are all frozen in ice for eternity. But even Dante is clear that Judas Iscariot will suffer the most because he betrays his friend with a kiss. It is entirely possible that this betrayal is the most pain that Jesus will undergo in all of those final hours. First, Judas. Then, the inner circle. And then, the treachery of the crowd. For God's sake, his own people choose a bandit, Barabbas, rather than the long-awaited king. Physical pain, that's one thing. This is another. To be abandoned by those who were closest to him. To be stabbed in the back by those who knew him best. This is as wounding as those fat nails that they used to pin him to a cross. And of course the terrible wisdom in this story the terrible wisdom is that the church has as much to fear from those on the inside as it does from those on the outside. We are as likely to encounter the enemy within our midst as we are those outside of our doors. Reminds me of something I saw written on a plaque at a, uh, in a dining room at a summer camp, it said, we are the people that our parents told us to watch out for. <laughs> to understand Judas is to understand the shadow side of the church, where we, yes, we, have it in us to betray those who we love. Of course, it is not possible to understand Judas unless we also understand Jesus because Judas doesn't act in a vacuum. His choice is a challenging one, but it is not the only choice in the story. Jesus makes choices too, right? Choices that may actually change the way we think of the one that Judas, the one that he made. I don't know anyone, frankly, who doesn't doesn't wonder about Judas' role in this whole drama. Was he a true villain? Or was he just a divine pawn? I mean, if scripture was going to be fulfilled, someone had to betray him, right? Do quickly what you have to do, Jesus says. And it sounds more like an assignment than it does a choice. Was Judas really the bad guy? Or was he just the unlucky one who drew the short straw? And if he was a bad guy, then why? Was it just plain greed, as some of the gospel writers, not all, but some of them indicate? Or was it instead a deep disappointment that Jesus hadn't turned out to be the kind of Messiah that Judas had hoped he would be? And incidentally, is he the kind of Savior you would have chosen? According to the legend, Judas was one of the zealots among the disciples. He was ready to fight the Romans until death. He longed for a Messiah who would lead them into battle. He wanted Jesus to wear a real crown, not some circle of thorns. So when it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to meet his expectations, you see, it was Judas who felt betrayed. And if that is what led him to do what he did, then God knows he is not the first, nor will he be the last human being to turn murderous when somebody that he loved failed to live up to his expectations and make his dreams come true. We make a big mistake, whether on the outside of the church looking in or on the inside looking out. We make a big mistake thinking that the church is something that it is not. We are, each one of us and all of us together, deep down, a mysterious blend of original goodness and original sin. A community that grew out of a band of disciples, one of whom would betray him, one of whom would deny him, all of whom abandoned him at his time of greatest Need. Such a community should never pretend that we are more than a community of forgiven sinners. Nothing more, nothing less. Whatever Judas's degree of guilt and whatever his motive, it is so important to recognize that Jesus identifies him how by feeding him. Not by turning over the tables at the Last Supper as he did in the temple. Not by casting him out. Not by tying him to a chair so that he cannot carry out his plan. But by feeding him. By dipping a morsel in his own cup and giving it to Judas whose feet he has just washed, bathing them in warm water and drying them with a towel that is wrapped around his own waist. Knowing who Judas is, knowing what he is about to do, Jesus doesn't throw him out. He feeds him and bathes him, which means that Judas is never never excluded from that circle of friends. He is included until he excludes himself. And when he goes out, John tells us, it is night. Outside and inside, it is as dark as it can be. And Jesus... It is time for him now to lay down his life for his friends. But before he does that, he gives them a new commandment. This is how people will know who you are, because of the love you have for one another. It's his last will and testament. It is their mission statement, whether it gets up on the website or not. Everything else he has taught him is important. This is crucial. Their love for one another will be the one true mark of their discipleship. Not their biblical knowledge, not their wonderful piety, not even their wonderful mission deeds. No. This death-defying love And Judas, what about Judas? He has now excluded himself from the fellowship. And you also notice, excluded himself from this final teaching. A message that, if you think about it, might have saved his life had he stayed there to hear it. But he didn't. He has disappeared into the night, kicking that rock that will eventually turn out to be an avalanche that will engulf all of them. He has removed himself from their reach. Judas, the sinner. Judas, the devil in disciples' clothing. The traitor frozen in the lowest circle of hell who deserves everything that he gets and more. But here is my question. Did Jesus die for him too? When he lays down his life for his friends, does that include Judas? The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus said that just before we tuned in in the passage that Stacy just read to us. And when he says that, he is quoting. Psalm 41, which tells you that he knew beforehand. He knew one of those sitting around his table would turn on him. And had he been anyone else, he would have started watching what he said to them, holding himself back until he could ferret out which one was going to turn him in, and expel him. But he was not someone else. He was the Messiah who washed his friend's feet, knowing full well that one of them would betray him, who fed them at the table, knowing full well that another would abandon him. He was the one who went on giving himself even though he knew that one of them would give him away, because his faithfulness did not depend on theirs. When he dipped that morsel in his cup and handed it to Judas, you see, he not only revealed who Judas was, he revealed who he was. He is the one who feeds his enemies. He is the one who goes on treating them as friends. He loves them to the very end. And what that means, I think, is that Judas, you see, is indispensable in understanding this meal. Judas, of all people, right? His presence at the Last Supper is our lasting reminder that this is not only a meal for the good and the right and the faithful in and among us, but for the crook and the double-crosser and the gossiper and the imposter in and among us. It will reveal us for who we are. Make no mistake about that. And that knowledge may be enough to make each and all of us run out into the darkness. But it may also be enough to cause us to stay put and to cling to the very tip of this table and to the presence of one whose faithfulness does not depend on ours and whose death-defying love for you and for me, for the church, and for this world knows no end. He is the food, he is the drink, that saves our lives, thawing our frozen hearts by taking them into his own. He is the wounded, poured out one, who gives himself to and for us suffering on our behalf and feeding us again and again and again.